welcome to Cinema Snorkel, the podcast where we look below the surface of movies and we talk about their meanings, their worldview, what they have to offer to the marketplace of ideas. I'm Carlin. And I'm Casey. And we're two siblings who love to have these conversations because we both care about entertainment and we both care about talking about the important ideas in life. So Casey, tell us about Cinema Snorkel. Cinema Snorkel is what we've been telling you about. <laughs> oh, you mean the thing we just told them about? Uh, well, it's a podcast where we dive below the surface of movies. No, I mean, tell them about the format of our show. Oh, got it. Here on Cinema Snorkel, we like to ask three questions. The first one is, what did we like about the movie? The second question is, what are the filmmakers trying to say? And then our third question is, what does a Christian worldview have to say about it? Today we are talking about a new DreamWorks animated flick, The Bad Guys. AKA Ocean's Eleven, but told with animals. Oh, I know what it is. You're afraid because I'm the big bad wolf, the villain of every story. Duh. And this is the crew, Mr. Angela, Mr. Shark, Mr. Piranha, Mr. Snake. Everyone copy. 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 We're the bad guys. And we don't do anything like that bad. <laughs> Robbing you know? banks. Like the, it's pretty bad. Yeah, banks. They have tons of money. They, it doesn't matter if you rob a bank. <laughs> yeah. So, Casey, let's talk about the bad guys. I'm dying to hear your hot take on this film. Yeah. I saw it last night. I know you saw it a couple days ago. Let's ask our first question. Yeah. What did you, what'd you like? What did we like about What'd you it? like? It was a very funny film. I <laughs> laughed a lot. Um, I liked the animation style. I thought mm-hmm. it was really fun. It was really snappy. So snappy. I really liked how many times they put sunglasses on. That I think that was my <laughs> other highlight. Was every time anything happened, one or more of the animals would just flip their sunglasses on, and I was like, "Ooh, that's so cool!" Yeah, the coolest I, I want to do were that. Going for they really nailed, and I I have to say I think that's the only thing they were shooting for in this film. Like, I think if that's the only thing they were trying to do, they nailed it. It was great. Yeah, it was cool. I want to be, I want to wear like a cool white suit and strut into the, but that's what the oceans movies are for, you know? Yes. Yes. And it's funny, even as you're saying that the oceans movie is like just the apex parallel. We should rewatch the oceans movie. Cause I wonder if there are deeper themes there that I'm missing, but a key component of oceans is that you're just, you love it. They're bad guys who you have to love yeah. and they're not doing anything that bad. Right. They're just being clever. And then at the end they go, wiki, wiki, what? There was a con within a con. And that's, it's been a con. It's the whole thing How has many been cons? a con. And then he's like, there was a con in a con. And he's like, I was the one that put the push pop in the freezer. <laughs> that was funny. Okay. Here's my hot take on bad guys. All right. What'd you like? I think it's like a Tootsie Pop. You know how you kind of enjoy like a Tootsie Pop, but the best part of a Tootsie Pop isn't the Tootsie. It's not, it's not the center. Like the center of the Tootsie Pop is like kind of the disappointing like side effect of eating a Tootsie Pop. And in the Oceans movie, you don't expect it to have anything meaningful or worthwhile or lasting. You're just there for a fun time. But ironically, with a cartoon called The Bad Guys, I kind of was expecting there to be a little bit more heart and a little bit more meat. And they didn't give me that. And and so for some reason, even though I wouldn't expect that from Oceans, I did expect it from this. Uh, And it wasn't there. It was not there. I can relate. 
Listen, as a grown man <laughs> going to see this movie in theaters, I felt bashful because, you know, we had t- we tell people like, oh, yeah, we're going to see this movie for our, our podcast where we dissect the deeper themes in movies. And they're like, oh, what movie? And we're like, well, the, it was bad the, the bad guys. <laughs> we went to go see the bad guys. Do, do ex- <laughs> To extract the meaning, there is meaning, and we we will find it. Uh, I did feel foolish, but you know who's to blame for that, Carmen? Huh. Pixar. Yeah. It's Pixar's yes. fault. Yes, that's so. That's exactly right. I if I don't walk out having like up level crisis, and but but let's push back on that more because I think that's actually cartoons are able to bring a level of meat into a story, and they've been doing that forever. Like I was just thinking about Bambi. Bambi, I want to say is like the first feature length animated movie Hmm. and maybe a little simplistic, but it it really packs a heavy theme about life. The, the nature of life, that death is part of life, that Bambi has to learn how to grow up and he has to learn how to grow up under really difficult circumstances with his mom having just been killed by a hunter. Like that's heavy. It might not be super nuanced, but it's a heavy theme and it's totally packaged in like a cute animated style. You don't got to preach to me, okay? I still can't talk about Bambi. Sorry, Mom. I shouldn't have brought this up. That was a mood killer. <laughs> that just killed the mood of our podcast. <laughs> you got to be such a buzz. But yeah, so the bad guys, and part of it could also be that it's called the bad guys. Literally, they are pitching themselves as a movie that talks about the nature of good and bad. Good and And evil. what did they have to say about it? Well, when you're good, you get a tingly feeling and your tail starts <laughs> <laughs> all right okay all right listen though i i felt all that i i felt bashful as I, I walked out of the theater and my wife and our our friend turned to me and they were like so what are the themes that <laughs> you're gonna here's the truth carlin because uh, i've thought about it since then we get to test the uh functionality of our podcast mm-hmm. here because something we've said from the beginning is movies don't just tell us truth about the world explicitly like Mm -hmm. because they are intending to they try to sometimes uh but they often tell us about the world implicitly Mm -hmm. sort of when they're when they're not actually trying to and so actually the bad guys has a lot to say the other part is that what we tell our kids matters and so like you're talking about bambi like it's a cartoon but everyone who's undertaken serious children's literature i'm thinking of c.s lewis who has Mm -hmm. a quote basically to this effect he says Children's story that can only be understood by children is not a children's story in the slightest. Mm -hmm. So like what we tell our kids matters. And if you go see this with kids, mark my words, I'm just like, these kids will take away themes from this movie. Mm -hmm. They won't be the ones that you necessarily think they're going to be. But kids mm-hmm. are paying attention. They are. And they, they're not even going to be able to articulate that most times. But wherever you set right. the bar, kids are going to rise to it. Okay, so let's let's All try right. our three questions and talk about what is the film trying to say. Then we can talk about what are the implicit themes in the film. Yeah, love it. My perspective is that they marketed this as a movie about uh, good and bad. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, it's a movie about friendship. Yeah, yeah. Good and bad are like their playthings, you know. They're like, I'm oh, Mr. Gerbil. Right. You know, are you like, on the red team uh, or the blue team? Guinea pig. Yeah, totally. That's exactly, that's the perfect analogy for it. Good and bad are like, okay, yeah, whatever. But what they really want to talk about is friendship. And they do that in a lot of ways. First, by just making the friendship of the bad guys just delightful. That was fun. Yeah. I actually really did like all their jokes and the way they're like laughing and working as a team. I thought that was really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the classic character arc is that 
when they all go good, Snake feels a little betrayed because his buddy has cut him out of the loop. And so the real problem, the movie wants to say, I think, is leaving your friends Mm. behind. Interesting. What do you think of that? No, I think you're exactly right. Because the the movie doesn't find its resolution until they're like about to drop off the moon rock. And they're like, we're going to be good now. And then they stop and they go, we can't do this without him. They're about to get their reward. We're good and people like us. But we can't move on to this next phase without going back for Mr. Snake. Yeah. And they do. That's a good point. You know, I would actually tweak that though uh, and say they're about to do the right thing. And they don't do the right thing because they want their buddy to be with them when and if they should ever decide to switch over to the blue team or whatever. It does because the good and evil doesn't matter. The rock doesn't matter. It's not inevitable that they're going to do the right thing because stealing in this movie really isn't that bad. Like you said, like what's the worst thing that they do is stealing things. But the movie is not trying to say anything about the issues of stealing. It's like, we're not talking about that. It doesn't, it doesn't even care. The worst thing they could do in this film is leave their friend snake behind. Totally. And they really drove that home. I would say the emotional climax in the movie was when snake goes you want to know why i hate birthdays Uh it's because no one shows up to your birthday when you're just a scary good for nothing monster of a snake but then he's like but nothing compares to having the one guy i thought i could trust stab me in the back there you go so listen if you're watching this with kids you might not understand the subliminal messaging Mm -hmm. because we're immune to it as adults but your child will absolutely yeah. soak that message in like a sponge. Mm-hmm. So effectively right? because that they won't even maybe talk about it. It'll just go right into their brains. Oh, how would a kid know how to talk about yeah. that necessarily? No, other than they're like, wow, you were really mean to the snake because you were supposed to be friends and you didn't tell him anything. So the main question that they're asking, and I don't even think it rises to the level of a question per se for mm-hmm. them, but they're asking, how do we handle friendship when our moral code shifts? Right. And it seems like the answer they're giving is 100% stick with your friends uh, through thick and thin. And they don't say it like this, but the implicit message of that is being really good involves being loyal to your friends. Right. And every other like perspective on goodness is clearly a sham e.g are you a stuffy arrogant <laughs> guinea pig who only cares about what you know Although, i'm saying okay good. i i hear what you're saying let me rewind it a little bit i think that the filmmakers were actually trying to have their cake and eat it too a little bit i think the theme that they get to is that exactly that it, the particulars of what's good and bad or what you do don't matter. What matters is loyalty to your friends. But I think they were kind of like, well, but we can't say that. Here's why. The mayor, Fox mayor, she has a line where she says, if they're good friends, they'll understand. Just do the right thing. Come join the good side. Ah, and if they're good yeah. friends, they'll, they'll get it later. There was another line that made me think, oh, they kind of push back on the idea of, are we doing this to get likes? on the internet and to get applause and to go viral. And Wolf, the moment when he actually does something good is when he, after everyone's gone to bed, he sneaks up into the tree and rescues the kitten. And nobody's supposed to see that. He realizes he kind of likes being good and helpful in secret. And then it gets viral. And I think they are kind of pushing back on why should we be good? Why should we be good? Not to get approval, but because of the way it makes you feel in your heart. Or, or if it uh, gives you a tingly feeling. Excellent. 
Actually, Carlin, that's so good. Thank you for uh, pushing back on that because I think that's true. And I, uh, I forgot about those yeah. scenes until well, now. Well, and because I think the stronger message of the film is the one you were saying about loyalty and friendship. Here's the thing. We treat right and wrong like different flavors of cupcake. Mm-hmm. We want to say like, hey, you know, one's chocolate, one's vanilla, but it's like you can kind of have both. But we act as though right and wrong matter, that they're the corest truths of reality and that they run through every single thing we do. It's just a question of what you think is actually right and wrong that matters. Mm-hmm. And, and so the movie, it's not as though it's an amoral movie or uh, doesn't take right and wrong seriously enough. It's that they don't know how seriously they're taking it when they portray friendship as uh, the higher good over and above, you know, like classic examples of good and right. evil. Right. So they, they're making a statement about right and wrong because everything we say and do is about right and wrong. Right. That's, that's my conviction. We, we really can't escape. Those core truths aren't flavors of cupcake. They're like the law of gravity. They, mm-hmm. they are shot through every single action we take as human right. beings. And what they're trying to do maybe is talk about them in a different language, a language that isn't using words like right, wrong, justice, injustice. Yeah. They're just trying. But they, but they can't get away from the fact that betraying your friends is bad. Yes. But n- not the bad that they're talking about. It's, it's like yeah, the totally. kind of bad that we can all get behind. So I was reading an article about the DreamWorks face. Have you ever seen an article about this? But they call it DreamWorks face. And it's a smirk that almost every character in every DreamWorks movie makes. It's like, uh, I don't know, like the boss baby smirk. Kind of knowing. It's like knowing like we're in an animated film is the smirk. Like, isn't this crazy (laughs) that animals are doing this? Uh Or I'm a baby, but I'm a boss. And that's the smirk. And this movie, it was a review in the New York Times that said this movie's smirking its way straight to the box office because uh, apparently it's doing okay. It's gotten great scores on all the scores. Yeah, because it is fun. It's a fun ride. But they're smirking the entire time. And a smirk is not about making a distinct argument. It's more like vibe check. Goodness is like, okay, but not goodness like the guinea pig. Like that's stuffy dweeb cake goodness. And not like the police officer (laughs) chief. Her goodness is so, yeah. yeah. Be good like the cool governor who's got ear piercings. Whoa. And she's the butt kickingest ninja (laughs) you've ever seen. (laughs) That so subverted my expectations. What? How can this be? There's a very quick line when she drops in from the ceiling and she's just like going crazy on all these guys, just kicking them around. And somebody goes, who's that guy? And I'm like, there's no universe in which someone looks at that fox and thinks it could be a guy <laughs> under there. Only a guy kicks butt. Oh, it's not only like... a guy would be able to kick their butts. What? It's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> we know it's a girl. Okay. Yeah, we know it's a girl. All right. Yeah, it's a guy. So... What you were saying earlier, there is a standard of right and wrong in, I think it's in Mere Christianity when C.S. Lewis talks about, we used to call this natural law because it's in everybody's hearts, in everybody's culture. Like you might say there's differences between moralities, but you're not talking about things like like betraying your country or like being a coward or cheating on your wife. Those things don't really change from culture to culture. People might disagree on how many wives you can have, but they always agree that you can't just have whichever wife you want. Yeah, right. So let's talk about that in the light of this really strong trend right now in all movies about having villains, kind of anti-heroes, or let's let villains be the heroes. 
been right. around for a while, but I feel like right now every other movie is about a villain as the hero. What do you think about that trend? Yeah, I mean, on one hand, I think we're striving for something good, which is relatability with villains. Mm. Our best movies have never been one-dimensional. I mean, Shakespeare's villains might be villainous, but they are never actually truly one-dimensional. Shakespeare understands people, and so he writes believable right, characters. Right. You know what I mean? There's never been a time where a compelling story just featured a one-dimensional yeah. villain. I think, Carlin, in our day and age, we're reaching for those questions of good and evil in a way that we can hold on to. We answer the question differently. Like previous cultures would have said, yeah, there is right and there is wrong. And sometimes we all do wrong, but you gotta just not. You gotta just do right. right. I think our, our culture says right and wrong aren't always that simple. And so uh, all of us do wrong and actually just let your hair down a little bit. Like it's okay sometimes to be bad. But um, I find it unsatisfying nearly always. I can't think of one of the villain movies. I haven't seen Wicked, the musical. Oh, Have no, you? I haven't. Gosh, I call myself a theater person. It's we just committed the cardinal sin in the eyes of a lot of listeners. So, <laughs> Please forgive us. Still listen to our podcast. Still listen to right? us. You'll still listen. If I were to guess, I'd say they handle it better than more recent ones. It's got some enduring charm. I, I'm, yeah. That's a guess, though. Well, from what I understand yeah. from Wicked, we want to see Galinda drop her frou-frou, sparkly pink vibe. Yeah. And we want to see Alphaba actually be a little tender and yeah. compassionate towards other yes. people instead of just being mean all the yes. time. Because what we're actually yeah. doing is trying to correct our preferences for pink sparkly things with a more realistic picture of what's right and wrong. Right. Right. And I, I like that. I think that's a noble endeavor. I just think we need to tell the truth about what right and wrong are. And eventually, eventually our language, do you think, will catch up and we start calling what's right right and what's wrong wrong instead of pretending like right and wrong are flavor categories and what we really care about. We don't really have a word for it. We can't call it morality because that feels yeah. too you strict. You know, this side of eternity, Carlin, I think the Christian worldview will tell us that we will never get it right as a mm -hmm. culture. That's not to say it's all the same. I think cultures can be varying degrees of uh, evil or good. You know, Nazi Germany in 1939 was a worse culture than yeah. the Republic of Germany 10 years earlier. I think we can make those kinds. Right. I think we should be cautious as we make them, but I think we are able to analyze culture like that. So I'm not saying that it's all a wash. But sometimes Christians are like, well, we just need the good old days when we had sort of more modernist ideas of what right and wrong were. But the truth is, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. We do tend to lose things in that shift. And so there are ways in which our postmodern ideas of right and wrong hurt us today. But if we brought it back to like a Victorian era, I think human nature will find a way to distort the truth in other ways. But I think the calling of a Christian in every era is to apply the unchanging truth of Scripture, of the Bible, to the ways that their culture would tend to ignore it often in unpopular ways. That's what Martin Luther King mm. Jr. did. His stand was deeply unpopular, unfortunately, among many people, many people in the church. But he was reading his Bible like he meant it. And what he did wasn't yeah. to say, hey, let's subvert your expectations of right and wrong. He was actually to say, no, you know right and wrong. You recognize it when you see it. The problem is you're closing your eyes to it. And he quoted Amos, you know, mm -hmm. let righteousness flow like a river and justice like a mighty stream. And people are like, okay, that makes sense. He's calling their attention back to these unchanging truths. And I think that's our calling in every era. Now, 
Can I just push back on your pushback? Push back on my pushback. So, so your pushback being, hey, they actually did treat some of these themes of friendship better. Uh-huh. I just want to say in the end, sorry, going all the way back to remember the bad guys yeah. uh, movie. Oh, wait. I think I saw that last night. <laughs> I think they contradict themselves so hardcore as they execute this movie so for example they subvert the trope that you do the right thing only for how people view you um professor guinea pig loves how people look at him on youtube as he (laughs) films himself doing righteous deeds yes and so they're like see but that's stupid because it's not about what people think but then literally their only motivation to do the right thing whether you're the governor, whether you're the wolf, is I don't want to be seen for the big bad wolf anymore. Uh-huh. Ooh, that's the one they set up from day one. Uh, yeah. They're tired of people running away and being scared yeah. of them. Yeah, and they want to be like, yeah. they want to be like, no, you do the right thing. But they, they, they end up saying the real motivation to change is so that society accepts you. Right, right, right. But not like that. Not like the guinea pig, but just like the governor who changed so that society would accept her without really giving back any of her yeah, stolen things. That's true. Until but she the does. End, she, well, of. she's going to come clean. She's going to confess it all. And then Wolf she is like, is. <laughs> he like steps in the way. One thing though, they submit themselves to punishment. They go to prison and they're like, we, we deserve this. You're like, lock us up, chief. Yeah, but the way they do, I mean, yeah, they get out so behavior. fast. It and, all yeah, I know what you're saying. It's not like it's not like they're trying to contradict themselves. I think they just couldn't yeah. help it, and they ended up contradicting themselves because they don't have a, a better so answer. What's the, for what's for a good reason to do right? <laughs> well, that seems like a lead into our third question. What does a Christian worldview have to say about yeah. these questions? And can I just set us up with the three questions I think that this movie makes us ask? Do it. First, is it okay to cut friends loose when our moral code changes? Mm, interesting. Okay. Second, is the main problem with people the way that society judges them or the evil decisions they made that got them there? Okay. Uh, and third, what is goodness actually? Like, yeah, but what is goodness, right? Is it a, is it a product of doing right. mostly what is socially acceptable? Is it something right. different? Do you buck society to do what is good? Right. How do we answer those three questions? I love these questions. Okay, let's start with number one. So start Say with a friend. Again. So, so is it okay to cut friends loose when our moral code changes? How would you as a Christian answer that question? Okay, and when your moral code changes, it's not just because you've switched genres and you're now on the blue team. Right. It's because you really believe like something in your understanding has changed. I used to think stealing was okay, but now I don't think it's okay. I actually think stealing violates someone's right to property and their human dignity, and I am not okay with being a person who steals. Yeah. I'm going to stop stealing myself, but also I'm going to start disagreeing with my friend who still thinks stealing's okay. And but I think if you care about your friend and you also believe that stealing's not okay, you don't want to see your friend keep stealing. Yes. And yeah. you might have to pull a hard line. And see, that's the thing: is getting along with people is not the same thing as being a good friend. Wow. Sometimes being a good friend means you draw a hard line and say, I'm not going to be okay with you doing something that's wrong because I care about you and knowing that they have the chance to also do what's right. Yeah. They could also change their stance on what they think is okay. But you can't make that decision for them. You can only be responsible for what you do yourself. Yeah, right. I think you were right when you said the movie understands that in some ways and the governor trying to uh, speak to Mr. Wolf, you know, about like if they're your real friends, they'll come around. I think they they have like kind of a murky understanding of that. 
But where I see the Christian worldview bringing it into technicolor is uh, in the book of First Corinthians, where it's talking about the attributes of love, like love is patient, love is kind. <laughs> it's not arrogant. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. So all those things, if we really like internalize like what those actually mean, they'd rule out all of the actions of guinea pig. Because I think our fear yeah. is like, okay, if my friends get all goody goody, are they just gonna just judge me and hate me and talk down to me, disrespect right. me, and mock me and and sometimes that happens in life. People turn over a new leaf and they're like, I am done with you. I'm done with this old life. I need to get out. And they just burn all their bridges and they burn people, yeah. but it feels self-righteous. Yeah. And I think that's what we're right. afraid of. So scripture answers that question. It says real love is patient. It's kind. It always hopes. It always trusts. It always perseveres. Right? right. But there's a critical line in the book of First Corinthians that I uh, have tried to think about often and it's that love does not rejoice with evil but rejoices with mm. the truth so it's exactly what mm. you're saying carlin but our christian mm. worldview tells us that ultimately they won't come into conflict but sometimes what you do have to give up is the harmony you expect to have mm. with other people but if you do the right thing people they might feel hurt, but you'll actually, you'll love them better for doing mm. the right thing. It's just like Hermione and Neville. Like yeah. Sometimes the bravest thing is to stand up to your friends. Totally. And you have to do that. And they might, they might hate you for it. Totally. But if you're being a better friend. Totally. Ah, I love that. That's such a great analogy. I think the bottom line is that if you stand for something bigger than your friends, you'll actually end up being a better friend. But if all you value is your friends, you can't. You can't be a good enough friend to them. And I'll just say in the movie's defense that it didn't totally whiff on that. It, it sort of dodged the question. It was like, see, the snake was like kind of with them all along because right. it's Ocean's Eleven and that's what we want to see. The snake never actually, he, he was always their Psych. friend. He was always kind of going to do the yeah, right thing right. and betray the guinea pig. So we right, like that. Right, right. Anyway. But, okay, so let's move on to your second, second question. question. Second question. Is the main problem with people the way society judges them or the evil decisions they've made that gets them there? Like, oh, we don't like wolves. Wolves are obviously yeah, bad. Yeah, down fox, with wolves. obviously bad. Yeah, they're bad. Or is it that the wolf has actually been making bad choices? Like, he actually is scaring people. He's actually doing bad things and, totally. and stealing. And stealing. Stealing cars and car chases. Oh, such sweet stuff, <laughs> though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I felt like they were just so bored by the question that they had to give our culture's mandatory answer, which is, of course, they don't like me because I'm a snake. Yeah. So they checked the box, but then they were like, yeah, boring. On to the more exciting themes, <laughs> which are friendship. That's fine. That's fine. But listen, <laughs> the truth of real life is that it's always a mixture of both. And we will talk about this on this podcast so much, the nature of good and evil. Sometimes society judges people who shouldn't be ostracized and they shouldn't yeah. be judged. We've misunderstood yeah. them. The whole um, Frankenstein's monster thing. Totally. Where he's, he's getting totally snap judged and pushed aside. Totally. He maybe had the opportunity to be good, but because society has just chewed him up and spat him totally. out, it destroyed the goodness in him. And sometimes people make heinous, evil decisions and then society ostracizes them and we don't like them like Gollum. Okay, that dude always does the wrong thing. <laughs> but listen, yep. we're all a mixture of both and compelling villains show that they're a mixture of both. Okay, uh -huh. because in uh, Frankenstein, 
he's ostracized first, and then he chooses, and Mary Shelley doesn't mince words, uh, because he does heinous things. He kills people who do not deserve to be killed. To me, that feels satisfying. It's like, yes, society ostracized, but look what you did with it. And we're able to have an accurate moral judgment of Frankenstein's monster. And say, it's a shame that people treated you that way, and they ought not to have, but you're culpable for your decisions. Yes. Same with Gollum. Gollum starts off with a heinous decision to murder his friend for the ring. And he chooses evil again and again. He would have killed Bilbo at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. But then Gandalf says that famous line to Frodo, don't be so eager to deal out death and judgment. Many who die deserve life and some that die deserve to live. And the point Tolkien is making, and he's making it like a boss, is that people can come back Mm -hmm. from the slimiest grossness. And they deserve the chance. Yeah. And when Sam is unwilling to do that, Frodo actually yeah. is. He shows kindness to Gollum because he understands what he's going through with the weight of the ring. And he believes, he says, I have to believe he can come back. But again, it's satisfying because Tolkien likewise resolves the question for us. Gollum never takes real responsibility. He reverts back to that uh, I'm a victim of right. everyone hating me mentality so as to justify doing the wrong thing he really wants to do, which is take the ring. And the end of Gollum is his own destruction. Wow. Yeah, Gollum kind of nurses... There's the the kind of split personality aspect of Gollum where there's that self-pity version of him. And he nurses that self-pity so much that eventually he just decides, yes. I'm justified in doing whatever I want. Yeah, me and ha- right. Master is which cool to me. has an element of truth, doesn't it? And that's why it's compelling. Right. It's compelling. And I've told, I mean, I think any, we've all been there. You've all been in a, in a bad mood where you're like, God, just some, everybody's on that. <laughs> and they keep rubbing me the wrong way. And they're trying to, and you're like, I think I'm just going to eat their last chip. And the, you know, like you, you use the self-pity and the anger and the self-righteousness actually to justify Colin, your bad decision. Uh, whose chip did you eat? That's pretty disgusting and despicable of you. Why don't we move on to our third question? I'm going to tell your housemate <laughs> <laughs> that you ate her last chip. That's uh, it's not okay. She 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 won't. She's that's, she's chill. You, don't need you to guys do that. are tired okay. of that. All right. What is goodness? Is it a, mostly a product of doing what is socially acceptable? Like what, like what is goodness? I think is the third question what we have to goodness? ask. Yeah. What, what is goodness? Yeah. What in the world? The movie. Uh, says it's yeah. it's friendship basically, but the, eh, but they're not thinking too hard about it. What what would a Christian worldview say? Like, what is goodness? This is a, it's such a simple question, and it feels like one that we ought to have a ready answer for. But the, every answer that I start to think I'm going to say, I stop and go, eh, but is that right? So, what do you think? Yeah, no, that's I think that's wise actually, very Socratic of you, because uh, we don't want to give a trite. <laughs> that's what I was going for. <laughs> I was going for Socratic. Yeah. No, it's a hard question. If it were easy, uh, you know, we wouldn't need to do this podcast. Um, but I think goodness starts with two things. One is the realization that it's real. So if goodness is uh-huh. just socially constructed, which is what much of our culture wants to say, they want to say it's uh-huh. uh, derived from evolutionary norms that helped people survive, but it's mostly right. a cultural construct. If it's just that, then it's nonsensical to really ask the question, what is goodness? Because goodness then is right. whatever your culture deems necessary for survival. Um, and mm-hmm. the, the immediate question is, well, why should I listen to that? It's like, you can answer why I do or might listen to that, but you can't, 
or, or why I would feel inclined to listen to that. But you can't really answer like, why should we always obey that standard if that's the right. standard? So it starts. The word should at all requires there to be yeah. some external motive, motivation. Yeah. Motivation. Or external reality that there's good and evil beneath how we feel about them. So asking that question in, re- in, uh, in real time means being a moral realist and acknowledging that there's something that it, some things are actually good and some things are actually evil. And I would say that leads mm-hmm. us to uh, the second proposition that uh, we need a standard for that. And so as a Christian, I look to God to define that standard. But here's where the rubber meets the road on like a pop culture movie like this. Uh, the real definition of good and evil are so much more rich and nuanced and humanizing and uh, they're everything that we are in our heart of hearts longing for them to be. It's just we ourselves are sometimes evil and so we have a hard time recognizing the real fruit of goodness. But goodness is nothing less than harmony with the way God intended the world to work. Yeah. Like Harmony with the way the God intended the world to work. Now, I just made up that definition, so I might get fact-checked by some people. But but goodness is an, uh, a part of God's nature. It's a character attribute of him. And so when he designed right. the world to work, he sat back and he said, it is good. And so right. throughout creation, we see the ways that goodness plays out. Like, like fathers are meant to stay in a family and raise their children. There's like a mm-hmm. hardware component to that, like in, in the sense of the design function of kids is to do best when their dad is in the picture, right? And the, the design function of men is to do best like when they are in family and relationship and committed and acting responsibly, right? And so, mm-hmm. but there's also a sort of uh, abstract nature of good to that as well. But I hope that makes sense. It's, it's like goodness is in the fabric of things. It's in the fabric of the way the world was designed to work uh, by God. Yeah, and it's a mistake to... Um, it, it's easy to slip back into the red team, blue team kind of thinking of goodness. I just remember having a conversation with a friend in college where I mentioned... I said the word perfect, and she was like, oh, I don't think we should be shooting for perfection. And I, that I made me pause and I was like, okay, tell me more about that. And what I realized what she was talking about imperfection was rigid, inorganic, uh, like rule following, no room for self-expression, fitting the cookie mold. Hmm. And what I realized when I was saying perfection, I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking of the way, the fullness of what something is meant to be, which might include quote unquote imperfections. The way when you look at a plant, its leaves and branches are going off in different directions. It can be perfect without being symmetrical. Yes. <laughs> or, you know, like perfection actually can include the things in life that we love. And now when I say perfection, what I'm really meaning is like holiness or, yeah. or goodness yeah. or righteousness. Right. The, the attributes that are found in God that he permeates and creates in all of creation He's not a God of staying in the lines. He's a God of order and, and through order, creating beauty totally. and, um, and, and creativity and exploration. Totally, you know? totally. Uh, 
uh, G.K. Chesterton says that Christianity has rules and it has an order, but the purpose of those is for good things to run wild. But to really drive that home and bring it back to the movie, unfortunately, I think the bad guys would be the kind of movie that would train kids to laugh at superficial ideas of goodness, but not really replace it with anything other than you got to do what makes you feel good and gives you that sparkly feeling. Uh, But that is of absolutely no help in thorny ethical dilemmas like we're seeing play out in Hollywood. It's of no help when doing the right thing is deeply socially unpopular, but you need to do it anyway. And ultimately, it's of no help for real lasting heart change because you don't really have to reckon with the depths of your own evil if you can get society to like you. And so... The Christian answer is that there's a standard of goodness. It's worth it. It is actually good. It's deeply desirable. And part two is none of us get there perfectly on our own. So part three is we have to have the humility to say we're sorry to God and let him pick us up through what he did on the cross with Jesus and restore relationship according to his design because he's the designer. And there's a humility that that forces us to take. But Jesus says that uh, when we do that, he'll put a new heart of flesh uh, instead of stone in our chest. The Christian worldview gives rules, but it's actually mostly concerned with that heart of humility uh, before God. Uh, Because without that, you can do all the rules and do wrong. Uh, But with that heart of humility and you understand what you're aiming for, that's where people have the real chance to actually turn their lives around. There's this line in Bad Guys where Mayor Fox Sington, she's like, what's it going to cost you? And he's like, my dignity, as he's standing in a fuzzy bunny costume. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> but that is, the I think, maybe the most truthful line in the film because what it costs sure. you to turn your back on evil is actually street cred and your popularity and to actually humble yourself and say, I was wrong. Totally. It's that is the hardest thing, but you're right. That is at the end of the day the only thing that God requires of us. Totally. Is to lower our pride, humble ourselves, get on our knees. Uh great nugget by the way from bad guys there. And that's why I love this podcast with you Carlin because you find the nuggets <laughs> like even bad guys I think without this the conversation I would have just written that off, but even in that light you can see some of the redemptive things they were trying for. And we can enjoy animals clicking those sweet sunglasses over their faces and driving away in a muscle car to a sweet soundtrack, which for all of our ragging on it, I really enjoyed watching this movie despite yeah. myself. I had to It was laugh. like a Tootsie Pop. I'm telling you. It was, you, a, it was tootsie like pop. a Tootsie Pop. Perfect. All right. This was Cinema Snorkel. Uh, we'll catch you on the flippity flop, everybody. 